1: Welcome to the AEW Dynamite review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Deadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanfler and Michael Sidgwick, Here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, <laughs> <but also laughs> <AW Rampage, laughs> Monday night raw, night raw, Friday Night Raw, NXT, oh, pay per views premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, <laughs> and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, I'm joined by Hampton to review AEW Dynamite uh, and all the fallouts from AEW Revolution.
2: This is one of the better table-setting episodes AEW has done. There is a ceiling in terms of quality on a table-setting episode, and that's absolutely fine. It has to be this way because everything has to build and then peak. So... Yes, one of the better table-setting episodes I've done. I thought it was very clever on a strategic level in terms of if in fact there are any like sort of curious viewers who've read about or heard the buzz emanating from Revolution thought, you know what, I'll give this a shot or I'll give it another shot. They were given a lot of things to pop for. They were given a lot of things to take interest in in the weeks and months ahead. But I feel like I'm going to be a little bit pedantic throughout this podcast because I had problems with a decent amount of this. But as I said, like there's a ceiling on these episodes. I will acknowledge that. But still wasn't perfect in every which way.
3: Mm. Yeah, imperfect. But I loved this dynamite. I absolutely loved it. Um, I think your, your mileage may vary um, on the sort of stuff they were trying to set up here and a lot of the stuff they were trying to do. But who cares about the mileage if you're going 100 miles a f- an hour! Because that was what this dynamite was. And I got a great deal out of it. The table setting thing, I really appreciate in AEW. And w- this always does come round after every pay-per-view. But um, I wouldn't just say this is the upper tier. I would say this was the best. I think a lot of the table setting shows have absolutely sucked, quite honestly. And I understand, like I, I love the AEW do it. It's so important to, we kind of joke about this sometimes, but wrestling forever and always will be, has lived by the idea of like, this Sunday, it's the end of the goddamn world. And then right as the world's and you're like, don't forget Wednesday when it's the end of the goddamn world. Like it has to be that way, it never ends. But AEW, I think, has earnestly always tried to make it feel like an episode one of a new season. It's never brand; it's not the pilot. That was once. It's episode one. So you've got a couple of things that carry over from the previous season, but a load of other stuff setting up. It's really hard to do on Mm. a show that never ends. And I think AEW, like, they always, it's commendable that they always try, but I think more often than not, they've failed. I think this was far and away the biggest success with that formula ever. You have to make those pay per views feel like they're consequential. Like, it's been a bad week for the rest of the media, IMO. Like, present company excluded and select others that we like. But uh, the first word of pay-per-view is pay, not paper, which is what I saw from some people that should be old enough to know better because they report this for a goddamn living. It's pay. You're supposed to pay for premium content, mm-hmm. right? This is the f- weekly free TV show, and it's important to draw that line between the two while making you feel next time when Double or Nothing comes around that it was worth your money just like it was at Revolution.
2: This was great on that basis. They didn't do one banger by Astute Design, not one ultra-competitive back-and-forth dramatic banger. The main event even was a drawn-out angle more than it was a match realistically. And I love that contrast because if you're a new viewer, again, peaked by the buzz um, that revolution generated, you're thinking, ah, I missed the pay-per-view or I watched the pay-per-view. I really want to see more matches. And that's what this effectively functioned to do. Do you know what it's it's this right? Do you know the other way a company can be
3: like, yeah, that pay for you was was then. It's gone now. It's back to television wrestling. Get forward to the next month. is having like the the world champion come out and go wah, wah, and shrug at the results of the previous night. <laughs> like that. That's the comparison. Is how like that's how WWE measured the difference between the two back when you could still buy shows. Was having John Cena shrug off everything you'd paid for the night before. So it's, it's this or that, mm. and they've figured out the right way to do it.
1: Well, uh, the show opened with Chris Jericho coming out and welcoming us to AEW Dynamite. <laughs> uh He's got his hair down. I like it. I like that look, yeah.
3: Was it his hair or somebody else's? You can see.
1: Uh, he talks about, oh, got a bit of a bloody sore neck from what happened with uh, Eddie Kingston, uh, but he said it was one of the best matches he'd ever had uh, and admitted he refused to shake Kingston's hand after the match, but he invited Kingston to come down to the ring now, uh, who he did, uh, who says we're going to get real deep um, and and Kingston cut a, a very enjoyable, impassioned promo. Talked about, you know, Friday night before the biggest match of his career with all the talk about can he ever win the big one. He didn't want to show up. He wanted to, you know, drink beer and just sort of, you know, give in to all the vices that have affected him. Um, some knobhead in the crowd does a what chant and he gets. I said this on the news. I think he got scorched more than when Moxley told that guy to <laughs> F off. And I thought it really got him, had a moment where he was like, uh, not Steve Austin's not here tonight, stop doing this, why are you doing this to me sort of thing. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, being told to F off is one thing, but being sort of encouraged to really look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> is quite another. Um, he talked about how four people came up to him and said that uh, they didn't kill themselves after they read his, his amazing Players' Tribune piece. Um, and he said that he went to his hotel room, he said, you can make fun of me if you want, I'll still beat you up, uh, and he cried after winning the match, uh, the biggest night of his career. Um, he said, "Look, it, it, the handshake was a was a Chris Jericho thing. Um, all he wanted was the the Jericho that he'd seen in the the Super J Cup, um, and they talked about Jericho trying to fill this hole in his chest that, for some reason, wouldn't allow him to shake Eddie Kingston's hand. And Jericho, uh, changed man now, seemingly." Uh, thanks him for the match, and uh, offers him his hand, and they shake hands, and there we have it. And then here come the nobeds 2.0, and Daniel Garcia, and you're like, why are you ruining this lovely moment? And they get in, and they take Kingston down, but thankfully, here comes Santana and Ortiz to make the save. Uh, and Jericho gets given his bat, uh, Ortiz holds up Daniel Garcia, and then Chris Jericho betrays two members of the inner circle. He beats down Santana. He beats down Ortiz with the bat. Uh, 2.0 come back in. Uh, they help with the beatdown. Jake Hager comes down. He's like, Chris, what are you doing? Swerve. He attacks Santana and Ortiz as well. And then Hager eventually uh, muscles up Kingston on the apron and power bombs him through the table Uh, that's been set up, I believe, by 2.0. And uh, Jericho announces the, as they're all flipping the bird, the Jericho Appreciation Society. Michael Hamlet, that's entertainment.
3: That's sports entertainment. It was wonderful, and it has been for the last sort of two or three weeks. We were raving about how Jericho, it's probably the best or certainly the most economical use of WWE negging in AEW history. I can think of some of the ground that covers. Jericho's, like, absolutely perfected it here. From that back-and-forth he had with Kingston two weeks ago through to right now has all been in service of this brilliant turn in which Chris Jericho has embraced... A lot of the criticisms we've had for him because he understands why they're so dislikable in the context of All Elite Wrestling. Really, really inspired. I want next week him to line those guys up just like he once lined up the inner circle on that second dynamite and say, you know what all of this is? This is a smart idea from good creative. My creative. And like play with all of this sort of stuff that they can now do. And just a great... Uh, a great reveal, a great turn. Like, all of that's rooted in old traditional pro wrestling twists and turns and what you want out of your all-action wrestling show. There needs to be event inciting incidents and events that take place like this. Said yesterday I was ready for, like, not to put a finer point on it, but the end of the Inner Circle, effectively. Some sort of town hall meeting that, that just drew a line under this, uh, well, they weren't They. where are we at with Proud and Powerful? got all of that so that felt asked and answered and in a way even way more satisfying than I would have imagined I had it as Jericho maybe going alone possibly with Jake Hager as his eternal walk behind her <laughs> and by the way Hager making the choice in the moment to stay being that because he knows his role and he knows his level I thought it was a super inspired way to do that and he knows he, where
1: his bread's buttered
3: totally you could have definitely drawn out like which like Hager isn't there for example and it's like well which way is what's he gonna do but I wasn't he, really thinking about Jake Hager I'm being yeah. perfectly honest. So they gave you they give you maybe ten seconds to ponder what Jake Hager would do as he did himself, and then you made the call, and you were like, "Yeah, that feels exactly right." And on we go. Way more drama in like how Sammy Guevara feels, and he's like literally separated as far as it could be by being on the opposite end of this broadcast. So, like, loved all of this. It's uh, it's table setting. It's, based on the inner circle, it's a template for yet more success for yet more people. Like, we all love 2.0 on this podcast anyway. Yeah, I've like, always
1: said Santa Ortiz are the Tesco value version of 2.0, you know. so In terms of... Joking, by the way. In, in terms Santoro of... And, are the lift and they're terrifying me, those two.
3: This is not, well, and this is not just a star-making vehicle for Daniel Garcia as now a new, awesome, underling in Jericho stable. Ooh. It's a star-making vehicle for Proud and Powerful in the sense that
2: they've finally escaped yes. Chris Jericho's shadow. It just... Zero complaints of any of this. I've got one complaint, and I'll get it out of the way now because I was otherwise as effusive in my praise of this. Optically, I don't like Daniel Garcia in the orbit of something called the Chris Jericho Appreciation Society. <laughs> we It, it isn't helped by the fact that he has been fancast into this apparent Danielson dojo. He was name-dropped in it. He was actually tested if he was violent enough to be in this prospective faction. And they were still talking about the Regal-Moxley-Danielson unit having been solidified to influence professional wrestling in their image. So it just felt like, oh, well, I'd rather have him in there. And there's everything about Daniel Garcia. I know he plays a punk. Not just a great technical virtuoso prodigy, but a punk as well. He is playing a punk. But I just don't really see him as an underling. I think with the, the rest of the dynamic in this new stable and the name of it, the Chris Jericho Appreciation Society is so stupidly good, but I just don't see Garcia being a fit in it. It just feels like it's better as a total squad of goons. Like, effective goons who are entertaining in their own way, where they're inadvertently, in the case of Jake Hager sometimes, and <laughs> 2.0, who are going to be oh, fabulous. Mm-hmm. The Jericho 2.0 stuff is going to be the most fabulously obnoxious stuff in AEW so far, is potentially. There, is
1: there not an argument of, of let it play out? Because I do think, yeah, there is going to be a sort of, of, the friction there, I think Baby,
3: baby Wardlow, he's actually the hardest guy in the group all along, and the yeah, time will come like, where he... Hager's you know. there,
1: you know, we all know where Hager's allegiances lie, like you say, just reiterated by his actions there. 2.0 are going to be in their element here. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe it could be a case of...
2: Maybe it's just the name. I just don't yeah. see how um, Daniel Garcia would literally appreciate Chris Jericho in the same way he would Danielson or Moxley.
1: He I has... can't imagine Daniel Garcia going, yeah, can I have one of those leather jackets?
3: For as awesome as Garcia's matches have been, it's been really cool that he continues using Twitter to say... What I'm doing isn't working, so maybe he's choosing sports entertainment over pro wrestling because so far it's not getting him any wins.
1: In my uh, eyes, Daniel Garcia, by the way, goes
2: everywhere in just trunks and a, maybe a towel. <laughs> well. I will reserve judgment, yeah. but he feels like he doesn't fit for me yet. At the start of this podcast, we were talking about how this oh, table setting episode, you know, they're not going to reach the peaks yet because that's the, the formula, the pattern. They reach the peaks three, four weeks before the pay per view. Eddie Kingston's promo was like an all-time great babyface promo Mm. we should never lose sight of how good this company is even when they deliver a mere 7.5 or 8 out of 10 dynamite that wasn't the nines we saw in the run up to revolution that babyface promo was absolutely magical Mm. and I know he's working because he cut a similar one that went on social media backstage a lot of the same verbiage so you know he's working to a degree but it just never ever ever feels like that No, and I don't think he's working and he isn't He's just the best Eddie Kingston. I want to see him kick Chris Jericho's ass, and that's the whole point of a segment like this.
3: It feels like everything Eddie Kingston is doing still is en route to eventually getting a world title match, or maybe even a world title run. Mm. Like Nothing about Eddie Kingston f- anymore feels like the novelty guy having his one match with Moxley just to see he's done it. This is a guy that feels like he's on the right trajectory to winning the whole thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we got a uh, blood-soaked vignette from CM Punk talking about the dog collar match. Uh, talks about the old CM Punk. This is a new version of him. Be careful what you wish for. All that sort of thing. Just, uh, I like the. Just, you know, we we we'll talk about the direction they went in with the world title and the world champion in a second. But yeah, just this is the way that they keep someone involved in the conversation without actually having them on the show. A bit like with MJF, I suppose. On this. yeah,
2: show. that's what Hamptel was saying yesterday. And the point I agreed with: you need the gravity of that one to register. You can't just have one of them come out fresh-faced, no more blood. You want that image to be indelible. You want the gravity of how hard-hitting and brutal that match was on a, an emotional and physical level to just let the gravity reverberate. Do you
3: remember, do you remember Shane McMahon walking out and raw and smirking after the Undertaker match?
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, it's,
3: it's like, stupid. he had, a, he had a, like a black eye. It's like, you've jumped like 20 foot. What about your back? I'm oh, fine, I'm a black eye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Then we got a world title match, the AW
1: World Championship on the line. Hangman Page against Dante Martin, uh, who got in some decent offence. Uh, he gets shouldered down to stock because obviously uh, Paige has the, the power game in this. Um, but he fights back. It's a springboard crossbody. Uh, he gets caught out of the air, though, and Paige rolls through into a fallaway slam, sends Martin to the apron, uh, and a springboard clothesline knocks him to the floor to take us to a break. When we come back, Dante Martin makes, makes a, a, come, a comeback. Uh, Gamanguri missile drop kick That gets a two count. Uh, he gets the high kick on the apron, uh, and an Orihara moonsault. Uh, but Paige counters a drop kick into a power bomb. He wants the bookshot. And there's a sort of series of, of rapid counters between these two, just showcasing how quick they can be. And then out of nowhere, Page hits the bookshot lariat for the one, two, three. Let's talk match, and then and then Adam Cole afterwards. Sig,
2: perfect TV match without being like a three and a half star and above match. It was very compact. A great glimpse into like Dante Martin being one day nowhere near yet obviously None. you saw how quickly and unceremoniously he was defeated but one day you got just enough the action while it lasted was thrilling i've never been happier to be on this side of the pond because <laughs> loads of great stuff happened during the break and i was <laughs> thinking because when you watch it on fight you see the action during um picture, in picture. Mm-hmm. and picture and they did loads during it <laughs> so it's like it was weird because you can't really do the heat spot because there's no heel in this match but <laughs> so I reckon a lot of yanks will complain about that but I couldn't give a toss because that's all Um just really well worked well measured, Measures the mm-hmm. word here, mm-hmm. Um in terms of giving Dante Martin something proving without doubt that Hangman Page is miles above him at this point and the action was really scintillating, perfectly executed, like really well-timed, like really suspenseful and dramatic in the final two minutes. But you never, ever thought you'd given him too much, like Hangman Page in terms of his ring work. He doesn't get enough credit for being one of the absolute best wrestlers in the goddamn world. This is a world champion performance doing a world champion TV match. But again, I've got a little complaint. You have to advertise a world title match several days after. At a minimum in advance, otherwise, it just feels thrown together in an afterthought. Two world title matches just thrown on this, sh- not thrown
1: on this show. And um, they probably tweeted about it, but we didn't know about it when we went and recorded the preview, for example.
2: So there was two, which I had a problem with because each and every single world title match should be promoted at least days in advance to something like its destination. Like we are defending, there could be, like, that's the thing. Danny Martin was never winning this, but you don't want the audience to think he was never winning this.
1: There's an like, argument you made the acclaimed could become tag team champions on the night, absolutely.
2: But that's, again, it's just, you know it's not going to happen mm. because they haven't advertised exactly, it. Yeah. It completely telegraphs the result, and it diminishes the importance of the championship. Like, think of think of it like this. Theoretically, because this is meant to be a work, Dante Martin could have won the world title. He's never, ever going to win it if it's announced on social media hours before showtime. They would never, ever, like, put something on that could have seismic implications for the company as a whole oh, it's just going to be a pretty good match, so we'll put it on social media. I just didn't agree with that at all. Um, Could have been an eliminator. Again, I don't know what the rankings are. They do not put it on television, so that's not my problem, not my fault. So I kind of tainted an otherwise great presentation, which I thought was additionally clever for reasons that I will give you once you recap the follow-up.
3: Yeah, I have little to add on the match, but nor should I, really, because it was as polished a win for Hangman Page as it needed to be. A 10 out of 10 booking idea, Executed at six, for all the reasons that Cedric could point out. I want Hangman Page, and like when I was complaining about it, there was maybe it, it felt a bit more subjective because I know that's just how I like my babyface world champions. But I think here is the objective evidence that it works. Hangman Page should probably defend this title about once a fortnight because that's how he feels like a presence on the mm-hmm. show more so than when he's like going weeks and weeks or just like cutting a promo in a nice t-shirt where he's saying I'm going to do this to whoever. This is this is the Hangman Page World Heavyweight Champion. But, like, yeah, it couldn't not feel rushed. It couldn't not feel like a day of decision, which it probably was, because they hadn't given us time to digest it. I would have taken this if it was uploaded to the socials on Monday. You know, like, I think, And I think that's pretty generous. Two days, three days. But to just put a promo out there, or Tony Khan does his tweet, but then the graphic gets made saying, not content with defeating Adam Cole on Sunday, fighting champion Hangman Page is back in the ring with the belt on the line, and Dante Martin has accepted an open challenge. As if this thing had occurred after Revolution and everybody's cool because they're both baby faces. That's all. And it for us to talk about in a preview. That's all like, oh, exactly. how, how will Hangman Page be after going 25 minutes in a main event? Well, who cares because he's a fighting champion. I work, of course, I'm going to invoke Brett. This company does all the time. That was how Bret Hart TV title defenses worked. He always felt like a presence in your life, and he was promoted as the fightingest champion in WWE history <laughs> because you could never say that about Hogan. That was such an important distinction between the two. Yes, you know, and Moxley was that guy as well. He, he felt like he had a title match about once every three to four weeks, and he was always promoting one as well. Love all of that. Love what we're both going to. I feel like we're both going to just absolutely
2: glow. Come over. to me first. Come oh, to me first on that, please. I I'm saw sorry. You That's what annoys me. The details company does potentially one of their most exquisite details yet, and then they miss this detail. Yeah,
3: like so much of this I love, but flawed execution ultimately, and what we're talking about here is not just like petty criticisms of the wrestling we like. It does impact the drama in the match. Mine's not going to win. Yeah. Like you you only need 1%, and you weren't getting that, and one of the reasons, because it was announced on Twitter a few hours before showtime.
1: Post-match, Tony Schiavone jumps in the ring to, to chat to Page about his match with, with Cole at the Pape, um, and uh, instead he invites, invites Dante back into the ring. Uh, he's walking up the ramp as he's doing that, and uh, he says, look, I know you, your brother's back now, and you're probably often going to gonna be doing tag title stuff, uh, but eventually, you know, we thanked him for the match and said eventually, should you make it back here, I'd be glad to do it all again, uh, which I thought was a lovely touch. And then Adam Cole uh, interrupts, uh, and he said, look, a Revolution, I took you to absolute limit, Hangman Page. It was a fluke victory. Anyone can get lucky once. Next time, you won't get lucky again. Uh, let's have a trios match. You can bring whatever goons you want. I'm going to be bringing one of the best tag teams in the world. Uh, two people who are friends of mine. Not friends of yours. Uh, did he call them young? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> two young guys uh, who are going to make uh, your life hell uh, along with me until I win the title. So I assume the young books, of course, as I'm supposed to.
3: Well, yeah, this is it. Like the, This was a good promo from Adam Cole, but the. The drama it was going to set up with, like, played out later in the show more than it did here. I like Adam Cole, I've like, I've always enjoyed his ability to he doesn't no sell a loss in a way that makes the what you've watched feel valueless, but he finds a way to sort of do this is the real quiz. He moves things on, like, he was so good in WWE for this, it always felt quite organic in a company that rarely does. Uh, yeah, but that was, yeah. Mm. Who's paying attention? This is the real one. And I, I buy that from him. And I think that's like that's one of the skills that he's got that not everybody can pull off. Like you kinda know yeah. you're being sold magic beans, but you're
2: willing to look the other way right, and pretend right he's gonna right be right, a yeah. bean stock. Yeah, can't disagree. Um should we you just wanna get to the next thing, don't you? <laughs> The next bit with this particular storyline.
1: Well, I, oh yeah, we'll come back. We'll get. We'll, we'll come, come We'll come back, to, we'll come to, back to that. Let's instead talk about the fact that they were announced that uh, Tony Carnard had decided and posted on Twitter that they were going to have a match between Pack and Wheeler Utah uh, which he had not as an impromptu match, but as a standby match because Paige Dante didn't take up the time that he had. Uh, what's the word? Not a, allowed All- allotted for allotted for it. You love this.
2: This is, yeah, this yeah. is the opposite of my least favorite thing yes. ever. The <laughs> exact opposite of my least favorite thing. Oh, Therefore, I, it kind of has to be my all time favorite thing. You will say you've already tweeted this, so, you know. The mega fans will forgive oh, okay. me. <laughs> and I've also got a receipt that proved how much I hate impromptu matches. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's meant to be an emulation of a sport, right? They don't just chuck on. Oh, well, you're looking forward to Chelsea versus Liverpool, but here's Arsenal versus Man United. Why? Why would that ever happen? Like, the idea of an impromptu match sickens me because they haven't created a show, a card, a set of fixtures for the sports emulation. So what was going to happen? Or oh, just something else that's fake, because this is fake now, because it's all an impromptu basis. Standby match is the absolute opposite of that. The best thing about this as well is that Tony Khan, if he wanted... He could have just simply booked Pack versus Wheeler Eater as a means of parachuting Pack out of the um, House of Black stuff and letting you know by virtue of a win over Wheeler Utah, oh, he's going to do something in the singles division and he's got a win. Wins are important. Pack's one to look out for in various title pictures going forward. He could have just done that. It would have been incredibly easy. No, he markets it ingeniously. It's a standby match because the broadcast has a sanctity to it. The idea that this is meant to be on a granular level for nerds like me and for people with intelligence who don't need constant exposition <laughs> telling them what things mean. The people who can infer things and the people who like to drill down in the details would like to know why do impromptu matches happen? And they would also like to know, well, what would happen if such a thing didn't? And this didn't go the expected length of a world title match Tony Khan has booked this as a standby match because he cares about how everything works at the deepest level Mm -hmm. of the show. I could not have loved the just almost casual marketing, almost superfluous, but it all adds up to mean something because when nothing adds up, you get WWE's 21st century output and the fact that they are so bad at what they do that they had a monopoly and they created their own competition, and it's for (sighs) bullshit, like impromptu matches. Would you say this is good enough
1: to to earn the word that I'm not allowed to say?
2: No, greatly, greatly
1: You <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it I'll get your thoughts on it now, uh Hamflet, but you talk about the was it real sports feel was the, the phrase that was chucked around early on yeah. in AW.
2: Before Hamlet says something, I'm sorry. They've always <laughs> done <laughs> I these, love it when he gets into it. They've always done these little details before the Great Impromptu match disaster, which is also a great impromptu <laughs> match. <It> definitely <laughs> dovetailed into another storyline, which is awesome on this show. They've always done these little details and I love them. TV time remaining. If it it ends, and it doesn't because it's wrestling, you have to contrive it to to a degree. If it ends, the the show's finished. Like, it it has to end. They've always said as well, we're putting this on last, but there are two incredible athletes who are going to take each other to the limit. It's probably more likely than not going to go long. We've asked TNT or TBS, can we have a little bit extra time if it goes over? And they've agreed Mm -hmm. the show might go longer. It's not going to. But well, it might because that could theoretically happen. Like an FA if Cup tie that this yeah, yeah. was real. And this is just another glorious, absolutely glorious extension of the promotions philosophy. One of the various reasons I've fallen in love with it. Mm. Are you talk about real, real? WWE fans, here's a challenge. Co opted journals. Think of a reason. <laughs> think of a Plenty reason. Of as, think of a reason as in depth as that as to why you like your thing. You can't because you're co opted and you need to shut your mouth you
1: talk about the real sports field? Although I wanted to add to Sidious' point before I get your thoughts is uh, in the UFC, right? They don't have, like, standby matches, but I have definitely watched, generally, a UFC pay-per-view is five matches, uh, you know, some sort of undercard matches and then maybe, like, a number one contenders match or a, or a couple of title matches, right? But they uh, give or take three hours UFC uh, pay-per-views, right? And that is to accommodate for, let's say... Mm-hmm. Uh, three matches with three five-minute rounds. So that's 15 minutes for each with all the pomp and ceremony and, and gaps in between and stuff. And then maybe two matches that have five five-minute rounds for, for titles, right? Uh, or just main event. But what if, in every match, you get Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo, where he knocked him out in thirteen seconds. Mm. Right, I don't care how much pomp and ceremony and talking around it in interviews you have, that ain't running three hours. I have watched pay-per-views where, granted, they don't have standby matches, but what they do is go, well, uh, that's all the matches we've advertised, but there was some mint stuff that happened on this, the you know, like the the bit, you know, the buy-in if you mm. want to call it that or whatever they decide to call it. So we're just going to show you a bit of that because. We've got the time to fill. We've allocated three hours. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to real sports feel. I I can only reiterate what you guys are about to say or have said uh, about this ingenious decision.
3: Adore it. Kayfabe is dead, right? Contemporary kayfabe is what wrestling bookers, promoters, creative people in the industry grapple with all the time. What is the... What's too fake for our viewers to buy now? What's real enough? For our viewers to enjoy without feeling like the immersion has been broken. We all know that there is a whiteboard backstage at all of these shows. And all I want to think about is the whiteboard having the matches and then having a subs bench with circumstances such as this. And I've been given a reason to believe it. WWE think that brand recognition is slapping your logo everywhere, is using words like stupendous 50 times an hour, is making sure that all the nicknames are in the commentary, that all the exposition is there. If somebody comes out to an old theme, you better goddamn explain it 20 times over because the thickest person on Twitter doesn't get it yet or wasn't alive for it. <laughs> um, the Like, you know, it's just... That in their mind... I just don't
1: get the Beatles, mate. That, that in their mind,
3: <laughs> right, is brand recognition. It's wrestlers coming out there and being more excited about the brand than they are their own career goals, being able to welcome somebody to Man in a Row instead of winning a title. <laughs> That's what they believe brand recognition is. No, this is brand recognition because we are going to recognise AEW as the company that preserves all of this stuff. Just like, because we're consistent, because we care we're going to criticize it when they fall short of those expectations. And that's the point of all of this. If you set a bar to a certain height, great, because then it's fun watching you try and leap above it or at least uphold that. When you fall below it, like, reasonable people will hold you to account from that and be back next week because they trust you. And that's what brand recognition is. And that's, other than this, just being awesome on its own terms, and mm-hmm. I've always banged on about the one where a match goes longer than it should have done and that knocks things off. This is the beautiful reverse of yeah. that, where we've got, they're both the same, ultimately. Like, what I'm campaigning for there is what i got here, which uh, is the idea that yeah. the, the time allotted matters more than anything else, because this is this is the sport that TBS is airing for two hours. And I, like... There's not a lot more to add over this, but I think like what me and Sidric have probably both desperately wanted to do here is not just wax lyrical about like this being great. It's about the, not just big picture, the huge picture whys of why stuff like this matters. Because there's going to be plenty, Like in all seriousness, there's going to be plenty of people that aren't old enough to have seen this done on a regular basis. So let's talk about why this mm. is so awesome.
2: One more thing. They don't do overruns on Dynamite. You saw it in NXT during the war. Raw does them quite often. They simply don't do overruns. I would therefore say, with a reasonable amount of credibility, every single episode of AEW Dynamite, give or take, maybe there's been the odd exception, it's fallen within that two-hour window. It is still crucial to me to think that it doesn't have to. Yeah, Because it makes it feel more goddamn realistic. And the whole point is to be able to suspend your disbelief. And even at this granular level, I adore the fact that they allow me to do that.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way. An innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you.
4: better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling pain tenderness firmness lumps
1: Wrestling rocketmoney.com/wrestling well that was followed by Brian Danielson and John Moxley versus the team of JD Drake and Anthony Henry better known as the workhorse men who Andy Murray has been singing the praises of in the Watt culture Office today uh, Danielson and Moxley uh, obviously because they're just Maniacs attack straight away, right at the bell. Uh, Moxley goes with Drake and t- hits him with a backdrop suplex. And Danielson then comes in. Yes, kicks and hits a buzzsaw. Uh, Drake forces Danielson into his corner, tags in Henry. So they get a bit of offense in, some strikes. A, a knee lift cuts him off, though. Uh, Moxley comes in, uh, beat more of a beat down. It's not fun fighting <laughs> Moxley and Danielson, basically. Uh, Danielson re-enters the match. And uh, Henry gets put in the surfboard thing, which is always fun to see Danielson do. And whilst he's being held up there, Moxley tags in and doesn't, like, pick him up or, like, punch him. Just bites him. Just bites him on the head. Here's <laughs> uh, an X-Plex. Uh, Henry flies back, though, gets a missile drop kick, brings in Drake, uh, who just chops and slaps at Moxley, who just, well, that's exactly what he wants. That's right up his street. Returns the favour, hits a rebound, Lariat. Um... Uh, goes for a a bit of a if he dive going on and amongst all this, but it's just wild action. Basically, he hits the paradigm shift on Henry. Uh, Danielson comes in, uh, so Henry's been taken out of it, and uh, he hits the Busaiku knee on J D Drake, and uh, he got the match won as always. But he stomps on Drake's head, puts him in a bell lock, and gets the submission victory. Lots to talk about with William Regal and his promo afterwards. But first of all, Hamlet, your thoughts on the match?
3: You cannot not fall in love with this tag team, otherwise what you're watching wrestling for. If you are a long-standing WWE fan that, you know, uh, is giving AEW a chance, as we say, maybe there's a bit of buzz off the, the pay-per-view at the weekend, and you see very, very familiar faces, people that, John Moxley especially, that has been a needle mover since the off, you know, absolutely in part because of the fame that he earned in WWE. What you're seeing is like the best and most polished, crystallised version of who he is in AEW, as you are with uh, Brian Danielson, who continues to be this, like, amazing, cruel tweener. Like, he's <laughs> he still a man that refuses to consider himself a heel, even though he is just a nasty piece of work at this point. What I got here out of these two as a tag team was the need for the House of black to win the tag belts, like, ASAP, because I don't want... I, like, I like Jurassic Express enough that I don't want to see these two do those things to Jurassic Express. Like... Jungle Boy doesn't deserve this. He's a he's nice young man. He doesn't deserve the absolute pacing he's going to get off these two. But how much do you want to see these two just not put up with this shit from the house? <laughs> but like, how much of a ripper that match will be because they just will not sell for the law and the goo? Like, give me that. Give me that right now. Because I was I was shown a vision of these two. And, like, do it again, Like, I feel like I'm slagging them unnecessarily. But, like, you would hear this phrase quite a lot. And often it would feel fake. They've just put the tag division on notice in one
2: match. Yeah, I love that. I do love that, and I love this match. Just brilliant, virtually completely one-sided violence, but prolonged just to allow me to enjoy it. it instantly, my thought process was: I've "Gone off dawn, have you? Yeah, I've gone off the idea of the house of <laughs> <laughs> taking the uh, tag team titles off Jurassic Express because these are instantly the doins of this division, like." Absolutely incredible physical, like the Danielson stuff in this match was just a joy to watch. It was like immune to that weird Moxley dive, um, mm. yeah. That temporarily took me out of it. And then I was just taken back in by the next incredibly gruesome. And gruesome is the word as well. Mm. The strikes on these lads—they are legitimately gruesome. Never
1: thought I'd pity JD
2: Drake. <laughs> this is just absolutely tremendous squash match stuff. In a uniquely Danielson and Moxley way as well. Mm. It's just awesome. Like I need them to win these titles, yeah. and I need them to hold them for a long time. And I need to see them fall out. I need to see Regal take Danielson's side. I need Moxley to headbutt Regal, and then <laughs> I need to see the sequel between Moxley and Danielson.
1: Yeah, uh, Regal uh, got a, a promo afterwards. So that's, the, that's the
2: air sorted. Yeah. He can book ring of honour because he can just say, right, I need... Work. He can write on the back of a packet, beat them, beat them, beat them, beat them, beat them, hold that title. He can then... But them, 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 and them, them. Right. You do all the work, all the in ring, all the promos, and I can just get back to hooking <laughs> ROH. It can be done. Yeah. Because you've got geniuses like this doing this kind of stuff. Uh, so,
1: yeah, Tony Schiavone was chatting with uh, William Regal afterwards. I just wish William Regal had told me how long he'd been in this business for. Um, uh, but he did. Workshop
2: that one downstairs.
1: <laughs> he uh,
3: That's because he's got good training in this trade. <laughs> no, he I've been in this game a lot of years.
1: It was, uh, you know, like a, le- a promo all about his, his, his time in this. Uh, he's 29 years, time flies, he's lived a hard life, he's not long for this world. Don't make me think about that, that makes me very sad. Um, too many empty Aww. bottles, uh, but he thanks Tony Schiavone, uh, nice little jab I, I did enjoy where he's like, all this time we spent together and you still can't find a decent tailor. Um, but he <laughs> Flirt with him as well, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> he talks about how um, he, he, he helped Regal in more ways than he can imagine. Then and and he says he literally said right enough being nice, um, and he said, "Look, I was no longer required in my old job. I'd com- completely checked out the industry following that, uh, and then someone told him uh, that Danielson had mentioned him on Dynamite, and uh, and then he found out that Brian Danielson was going to face John Moxley. Um, he said the only reason a lot of people know the name Regal is because of Danielson." Um, what he can do is make someone who wants to work hard a better professional wrestler, um, and that's what he's done with Danielson. He said Danielson is the wrestler I should have been. Uh, he is the perfect wrestler, said Regal. Uh, talked about them training for hours and hours and hours every day for months on end. Um, yeah, he's he's become the person he is because he hasn't got, he hasn't he's become the person he should have been because he hasn't got the problems that he had. Uh, and then he talked about meeting Moxley. Um, Uh, They they said the problems they shared with each other would make the devil cry. Um, And after the match on Sunday, he thought, what a better combination than the perfect wrestler and the one who could take things further than anyone else. I think he described Moxley quite rightly as a sadist in here. Um, And he said, that is why this team is together. And uh, talk about putting the tag division on notice. He said, uh, anyone who steps in the ring with them will regret it. Either step up or get
2: stepped on. How after this and how after the last three years and how after the nineteen eighties and the, the mid to late nineteen nineties, but like there's this something about this promo and the emotion and the slipping through modes and just the delivery. How can you possibly watch a scripted promo after this? I just don't understand how people do
3: it. Not to jump on like your point there. I was thinking about this with William Regal specifically watching this. He re signed as William. In late 2000, and was a joy, was a total joy. He understood exactly how to get over in WWE, but it was right around the time Kresge left. It. Well, Kresge stepped back, and Stephanie took over, and scripted promos became the norm. Has he ever not followed a script in WWE? I, like, I was thinking about the timeline specifically about yeah. that. Uh, maybe once or twice he's not spoken with the bullet point thing before they like inserted that as the rule. And Regal was a pretty good rule follower. He was a bit of a toady sometimes, quite honestly. Yeah. But like,
1: like a frog in a bag. Yeah, that like a team. A pump. <laughs> <laughs> I love that program.
3: Well, yeah, I was thinking exactly that. Has he ever operated outside of scripting with him?
2: I don't think he has. And he's an, a known talent with this. Yeah, I mean, this is just incredible. Just the, not fourth wall breaking, but just an intimate aside to a genuine friend. I don't care that it didn't hit every single story beat and he kind of colored outside the lines because I'd just rather believe that what I'm watching is real. Even if it's not sticking to the subject. I've never really had a big affinity for William Regal. People are regal guys. Regal guys really are regal guys. Mm -hmm. I've never really been one. He entertained me a lot in 2001. When I've done my big route back into history to watch the very best matches. Don't want to start another (laughs) Fennu esque Twitter deal, but I've never gone back and watched his best work. Mm. But it's just because he's in a real environment or a real feeling environment. It just struck me that what's happened here is I've seen a glimpse of the man's interior life, and I like that. I don't want to develop parasocial relationships with William Regal. I just want to see the real person and how they are working it in the the context of the storyline.
3: Wrestling's fake, but life's real, and you can use that in wrestling to make wrestling more real as a result. William Regal spoke of his relationship with Brian Danielson in similar enough tones that he spoke of his relationship with John Moxley. One was to do with the darkest side of the lives and one was to do with the lightest. You know, like he's as great as he is because of wrestling. He's as great as he is in spite of the problems, which I also understand because I live them too. Like that's far better than trying to, I don't know, like use some flowery language to get around some real life problems and mm. make it seem that like actually everything is fine and what I am is this like very polished administrator that I was like for a lot of my years in WWE and NXT um this is the difference this is the difference in that like that artistic expression that everybody sometimes to a fault but everybody will be afforded and the ones that know how to use it effectively we use it like this
1: I wanna know what you made of the next segment with the Dark Order backstage. Uh, they're asked about their relationship with, with Hangman Page, and he uh, comes in quickly, and, and Silver gets excited and asks, you know, who's he going to pick to be his two men to take on what they assume is the Young Bucks and, and Adam Cole, of course. Uh, and Page says, oh, yeah. Uh, about that, I may have already bumped into Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, who wanted a piece of the Young Bucks next week, and he sort of awkwardly apologizes and walks off.
3: I got a lot of thoughts on this, so they're gonna dart all over the shop. So I apologize in advance. So not like not a bad segment. Well-performed by everybody. The Dark Order are always really... They're great reactors. So you can watch this segment like six different times and enjoy the different reactions. I'm not bothered.
1: I've got got other plans anyway. It's fine.
3: (laughs) Yeah, all that sort of stuff. I made a little joke on Twitter that Cole Cabana looked particularly affronted at Hangman Page's rejection. And we were just saying yesterday, what puts CM Punk and Hangman Page together? And it's the rejection of Colt Cabana immediately. He's like, there's this big siren. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a minute. Is Hangman Page on screen, falling out with the Dark Order? In order to get the Dark Order away from Page, so yet again Cabana and Punk are nowhere near each other. Is this a shoot? Is this like we need these to be as far away from each other because we're going to put these two together? And Punk and Cabana have said no, thank you. And is like are we watching something that's been done creatively to deal with a very real life mm. situation that like all of them professionally are going to work around, which is a bit sad, isn't it? But that started to feel more like the rational explanation for this because I think they're playing a bit of a dangerous game with mm-hmm. Hangman Page pleasantly saying no thank you to that. He never joined, right? So the the little tacit implication is that like I like you as my friends, but we're never going to be best mates. I'm never going to be in your group, but thanks for all of this. I'm not going to shag you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like you, you might be the person Amy Jamar calls. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's never going to <laughs> But it's never going to go beyond that. How am on page got some booze on Sunday and some of that might be because of the the, you know the flag that he was very proudly flying on his gear in a state that is about to vote through something very awkward and awful but maybe it was also because like people didn't like what he was doing and my worry is that some people some of AEW's like let's say Dark Order like fan base may not be that keen on the Hangman page playing them here Are you talking about the 2019 guy on the train that guy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's going to be some bullet babes getting detected <laughs> when, uh, when these people rewatch this show who aren't going to love this. And I, I think right that Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and a lot of the other stuff we talked about on this specific podcast should allow you to trust the pro- process implicitly at this point about how all of this is going to play out. I'm not so sure if a lot of fans will necessarily have the patience and they'll want either A, like the Dark Order, a turn on Page and be like, well, yeah, they rejected him. Like, yeah, that one coming. And does anybody really want to see that? Or they're just going to boo Hangman Page as the babyface champion, and that's not ideal. I, I don't know. Something didn't, I, I think I
2: liked it, but something felt off. I was more puzzled than curious and invested. Mm. Like Why? Because Hangman Page did receive some boos. They appeared to course correct um, by having him work a really dazzling, short, compact, but dazzling babyface match against Dante Martin, who we could not have done more to put over in his guise. He's a really nice guy and a fighting champion. They babyface the living out of Adam Adam Page and then didn't in this segment. It would be very funny if they just said, right, okay, we're not going to be Dark Order Page stuff in a minute because that connects Cole, sorry, Page with CM Punk. And they, if they were going to work together, Punk and Cabana, they absolutely 1 million percent would have done it when MJF was yes. feeding with Punk because a big device, a trademark of MJF is I'm going to make you wrestle matches that you don't really want to wrestle. Now that doesn't check out to me because I don't recall any Ring of Honor flashbacks in that feud. <laughs> mm. yeah. Not any that
3: were really clearly explained to me. Well, I didn't see him.
2: Well, so. unfortunately.
1: He says the unsayable, doesn't he? Punk he says that the that unsayable.
2: He he, put, he sets Nick Gage on Chris Jericho. He makes Cody Rhodes get lashed with a whip. The Pinnacle stuff worked, obviously, because it definitely dovetailed with the Wardlow breakup. But if they were going to work together, MGF would went, right, you're wrestling Colcabana. And they could have done business as, oh, reconciled mates. Yeah. Pretending that they have not reconciled. That was going to happen then. So the, honestly, Hamlet might be onto something. That might have been the explanation. Just a little sort of, ooh, that doesn't work. So let's bin that off for a little bit. So honestly, that's the only one, only way I can see, because I don't understand why you would make Hangman Page versus the Dark Order a thing. Because when you see a rift, your immediate mind goes to conflict, Page versus John Silver. No one wants to see the Dark Order babyfaces for the really tragic history and the heartwarming after effect of it, at least in fiction, obviously. No one wants to see the Dark Order turn heel. Realistically, none of them are are a real threat to um, Hangman Page's world title reign, so there's not business in it. Sentimental reasons, there's none. And I don't want to see the Dark Order turn on Page and be a heel unit because it just feels like you can't kayfabe this act anymore in lieu of the death of Brody Lee. It It feels like it's not particularly good taste. Honestly, and I've said this for such a long time, the Dark Order should agree to mutually and quietly disband and the individual acts in it can go and do their own thing pursue championships repackage their gimmicks because there's no easy way out mm. and they've opened the door for the way out on this episode of Dynamite so it just struck me as off. Cole
3: not wanting to pick between Red Dragon and the Young Bucks and then the only way that he can think to like back out of the situation he's forced himself into is trying to think right I wonder if I can talk right, Reynolds and Silver to working with me on a handshake agreement for the, the trios match is interesting but i think way more damaging long term and i even think there was the, there was the idea that maybe that he would look to them too because the dark order have just been kind of rejected out of hand by hangman page it's like well what about like these are a group that have kind of they're forged in in the iron of being rejected by society and they've been rejected again and adam calls a manipulator and he doesn't want to deal with this young books red dragon thing so he's like, hey guys. What are you doing? You know, like, are you free if you want to match? He's your buddy. You can shake hands at the end, all that kind of thing. Like, they, maybe that's what they're trying to sell you. I just don't know if I particularly want to watch that. I think it's too much of a contrivance. And they're not, to be fair, that's me saying that. So I'm not having a go at them potentially booking it. But I think they're, they're allowing you to think about stuff like that. And I don't know if people really want that.
2: I'll boo John Silver again. I'll boo Stu Grayson again. I'll boo all of them again, not wearing purple.
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> then we got the bonus match. Uh,
0: Pack
1: and Wheeler Utah um, chain wrestling takes us to commercial. Pack dominates when we come back. Uh, Wheeler Utah fights back, though, hits a released German suplex. Top rope crossbody gets a two count. Uh, but then Pack hits a German into a bridge. That gets a near fall. And then he just smashes him with an avalanche brain buster, puts him in the brutalizer, and gets the
2: submission. Kind of good, kind of odd, kind of there. Um, it wasn't like a really competitive ripper. Pac, who's been playing babyface, kind of worked as a heel here, mm-hmm. very methodical, his body language, he was quite sadistic, he seemed to enjoy what he was doing rather than fight against any kind of struggle. Um, didn't have any storyline implications, there's nothing potentially interesting to riff on. Uh, I just was kind of unmoved by this, but at the same time, Pack in singles, is a consistent fixture. It was a secret weapon. Mm. His roster is full of secret weapons, mm. and Pack's probably the most powerful. A gentleman's three is not very gentlemanly when it's pack yeah. because of the <laughs> style of offense that he's got. To,
3: like, it's this offense of forcing you to be more electrified than you know you really want to be because of the context of the match. Much the same, um, didn't know what to feel, but impossible to feel nothing because of just Like Wheelie was pretty great at that as well, actually. But the, uh, we talk a lot about standards are raised Incredibly high at this point, and this match is a reminder of that because once upon a time, this would have been on a I don't know a Midnight is Raw and Nitro, and we'd still be talking about it now as a TV classic. It's it's every week, Yeah mm. standard.
1: Uh, this is when we got the Young Bucks and Red Dragon uh, either side of Adam Cole. Uh, he was talking about how disappointing he was that none of them managed to leave Revolution with gold, and a- everyone starts arguing. And he tells them all to bloody shut up, uh, and he starts talking about his partners for next week. And the Young Bucks say, "Yeah, I'm not really sure about this." And Cole says, oh, don't worry about that, because I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Red Dragon. And he walks off, uh, and Brandon Cutler, in an attempt to save he says, oh, I'd pick you as my partners. And then he to shut up, and Cole yells, I heard that, Brandon.
2: There's a really good deep cut joke here, I've tweeted. The mega fans will forgive me, where they were doing the hints um, during Adam Cole's promo that he was going to pick the young bucks to get at Hangman Page. And he said, I'm going to team with a couple of young guys. Who
1: were well, my friends, not your friends.
2: But like the young guys, I think it was pointed that he said young <laughs> instead of a like, he, he could have said uh, many different things because he did say guys who like throw a party, Like they've got loads of characteristics and loads of history. They could have said a couple of guys who are really elite, like anything, anything except young. I think they've had a bit of fun, like banter among mates with Bobby Fish and say, <laughs> oh yeah, I meant the young, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 45, but yeah. It's a work young. That's Still it. work young.
3: Guerrilla Monsoon, calling there. Uh, Carlos Cologne, the youngster. Yeah. Or everybody saying that Damon Priest is one of the hot young stars of WWE. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I just think it was a nice little deep cut.
1: Yeah. He, he hasn't knocked years off him since he's arrived in AEW, though. It's
2: ridiculous. Like Bobby Fish doesn't get enough praise. No. Mm. Uh FTR
1: Tully Blanchard at Backstage talking about what they're going to do next. Uh Dax talk about professional wrestling being his first love and then his family life and um, and it's daughter, the birth of his daughter and all that, uh, and he's looking at Young Bucks and, and Red Dragon, they want to face them next, so he can look his daughter in the eye, and Tully cuts him off and says, look, we, we, you're losing focus here, you know, this is what we formed, is it, are you, you should be going after championships, and Dax and Tully sort of get in each other's faces, and Cash separates them, and then fires Tully Blanchard. Surprised at this, like,
3: Um Surprised it happened, but quite quietly pleased. Um it, it, they won't miss Tully Blanchard in a way that I think some people might think they will, truthfully. Um, FTR, I've liked this run at points, I've never truly loved it yet and I think one of the reasons is because they are as great as they think they are at being a tag team cut from the old cloth but too often for me and I, and I know for others even though I know this is subjective, if V is more into tribute work rather than what it felt like in NXT reviving when they Reviving
2: it. Reviving it, yeah.
3: like, And there is a Crucial difference. Tully was, in hindsight, maybe more part of that tribute problem than it was reviving it, you know? So with them gone, I think you'll feel a little bit less of that in the matches. And you'll just see awesome tag team matches with a a team that no longer needed... Like, Dars pat on the back, which is kind of all they were really getting off Tully. If you remember, Tully and FTR came together really because Tully felt way more serious than Sean Spears. And it was like, you need an act that justifies this guy's, like, impotent anger, that he wants to send it somewhere and he can't physically, so he's found it in these guys because he wasn't getting it with Sean Spears. Pinnacle kind of brought it all together. Tully cut that wicked promo when they first started, but then they never really, like, got They didn't, like, race out the blocks as a stable, so again, Tully felt fairly redundant. The one... Bit of praise because there were so many angles on this show that this was one of the more like ones that was easy to forget. I guess when you're kind of reviewing this show, was I put this on Twitter, but like, and it was like Sidric's point originally about the the bones of the MJF Jericho thing was that they were kind of telling a legacy tale from what episode four or five of Dynamite, whenever it was, when they first came together. That is pretty much continuing. The Inner Circle and the Pinnacle have died on the on the very same night. Like Jeff and Chris Jericho, 25 years apart, as they were when MJF cut that promo about being a champion at whatever age he was, In this, you know, the same way. They're living the same lives, only different in AEW. And I just think it's quite nice that stable. The, fir- the two stables that had the first big stable war had blood and guts, all of this sort of thing. They died together on the same night. And one is as a result of Chris Jericho trying to be Chris Jericho all over again. And the other's happened without MJF even being on screen to watch it happen.
2: The sacred cow, the take that I feel like a lot of people feel, but everyone has such reverence towards the guy that no one actually says it aloud, is that Tully Blanchard, in 2022, 2021, just isn't really the same guy. And obviously he's not the same worker because he's like, what, 70 or however old he is. But whenever you see him interact with Arn Anderson physically, it just feels like it's always very, very awkward he's tripped over his words on several promos and it's like, it's Tully Blanchard. Like, he just feels like he's not that much of a benefit to this company. Mm. And I hate saying that. It's Tully Blanchard. Like, the guy was incredible. Probably the most underrated wrestler ever in terms of how unbelievable he was and how that was never acknowledged until AEW sought to acknowledge it and it just feels like it's a couple of years too late, maybe. Um, But at the same time, it's Tully Blanchard. The way this was shot backstage then all right, Tully Blanchard's been fired. Well, f*** that guy. Now it's, time, <laughs> now it's time for the next segment. It's like, allow the... Think about it like this.
1: Well, Th- there goes SCU forever.
2: Go <laughs> it's like, it's Tully Blanchard. The idea, and I know, and I've just said, the, he himself hasn't really executed it to the best of his abilities. The idea is a really prominent tag team has just fired one of the sharpest minds in the business. Even if he hasn't necessarily shown that that much in AEW, you treat it like he has. This is just so throwaway, like an afterthought. Um I generally felt a little bit sad for Tully Blanchard. I don't want to feel sad for Tully Blanchard.
3: There was something here that was either an improv, a red herring, or a clue, and it kind of ties into that happening all very matter of factly, was in the discussion of why it was time to film a part where Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard did just sort of like sneak out like, oh, I got a family too. And He's Tony Blanchard's family. Uh, n- no way. I know. No way. I just, way. like, so it's either an improv, a little riff from him, and he's, he's been a little bastard in his life, so there might be an element of that. It
2: could be, like, a callback to the Four Horsemen. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Thing. I don't, you, it was absolutely not a tease of Tessa Blanchard. Unle- unless
3: he's been signed by Controlling
2: Narrative. I can <laughs> guarantee it. Um, I just thought, yeah, it was just rushed, casually tossed aside. Like, if you know how stuff this why couldn't you just do this on Rampage? And, mm-hmm. like, do it in the ring. It's totally Blanchard. Like, I know I was just more disrespectful to him than anyone's uh, maybe. Yeah, actually, a spike pile
3: Drive would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? I would uh, stretch it off with a neck brace and the whole deal.
2: Yeah. Like, I know I've been... He's done some awesome stuff in AEW, just not to the level you thought when he was coming in. Or is
3: this a babyface term for FTR? With the death of the pinnacle?
2: Potentially. Mm. You don't invoke your family. Mm. I suppose they do quite often, actually. Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it's interesting. But I would like it to have been sold as more interesting than it was. Partly town hall
1: emergency board meeting. <laughs> That's what we got next from the AHFO. Uh, there's a bit of a ooh, bit, bit of tension there early on between uh, Andrade and Matt uh, Matt Hardy, who says uh, every time he puts on a suit, he transforms into an asshole, uh, and Andrade knows all about that. Um, Andrade he's sort of speculating about you know he's saying about how Andrade kind of wanted to get rid of him from day one. That's why they sort of formed this hybrid group. Uh, and Andrade said, "Let's put it to a vote." And Matt went, "Well, there's no need to do that. I don't know why Butcher and Blade didn't get a vote on here, by the way, but still, uh, so <laughs> He said, "Look, it doesn't really matter what you say because we all know that my my boys' uh, private party are never going to vote me out." And uh, private party give give him the thumbs thumbs up, and he turns around. Um, to, to chat more with Andrade. And as he turns his back, they put their thumbs down. And Andrade says, in this business, you always need to watch your back. He turns around and realizes what's happened. And probably what's about to happen. Because they all start kicking the crap out of Matt Hardy. Who will make the say? Well, Darby Allin and Sting come down. The, uh, the guys who fight for what's right in AEW. And they come down and attack whatever we're calling this stable now. Um... Uh, but again, the numbers game, like I said, you've got Butcher, Blade, Private Party, Andrade, and the most uh, ripped guy in the entire team, uh, Jose the Assistant, um, beating them down. And then Jeff Hardy's music hits. Yes, that music from Jeff Hardy. Uh, Andy filling me in on the news today that they, they own that, as well as the, uh, the Holly music. So... A thought when they bought that music library.
3: Yeah, it was weird in the late 90s because both of them used to be on Monday Night Raw on Sky Sports 3. And if you left your video recording, they used to be on the 10 minutes that immediately followed Monday Night Raw on Sky Sports 3 as well. <coughs> if you had left the tape room by accident and you thought it was still wrestling, it looked like wrestling a bit. <laughs> so anyway, Jeff Hardy's music hits. It's bad as him. It comes down... Dana, Dana, Dana you <laughs>
1: brothers, get and get beat up. Finger gun things or whatever it is. Anyway, he runs down. Uh, everyone gets sent packing. Again, the numbers game uh, no longer matters because it's the Hardys and and, and Darby Allen and Sting. And Blades, the head to just eat crap, basically. He gets hit with a twist of fate from Matt Hardy. Swan Tom Bomb from Jeff Hardy. A lovely moment, emotional moment, hug in between the Hardy boys uh, and Sting. And Darby Allen in particular are stunned at what they are seeing. Jeff Hardy is All Elite. No great surprise, Sage, but what do you think of how they presented it?
2: It felt a bit convoluted to me. It really felt like, as well, like if WWE were attempting this court case about contract tampering because Jeff Hardy was stupid enough to say that he was going to All Elite, I just, they've booked it, they've booked it throughout his uh, non-compete, all of this. Like, they must have been pretty sure he fancied a contract. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> you think he signed it on Matt Hardy's ass, like in the main event? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe convoluted and soupy is harsh because I still wouldn't say it was deft and dovetailing yeah. but them setting up young, book, uh, young Hardy Boys versus Private Boy doing an interaction between Jeff Hardy and Darby Allen and then doing the Hardy Boys reunion A lot of, like, really cute detail work, even if I have zero emotional investment in it whatsoever. I haven't had throughout. Not a big Hardy Boys guy. Um, My favorite thing about it was nothing to do with the way it was booked. I'm a sucker. I'm a sentimental guy. I've got a really dark sense of humor, and I'm a cynical husk of a human being. But, you know, sometimes emotion and sentiment gets me, and just my Hardy looked thrilled to goddamn bits that his brother was giving him a cuddle. Company that was on national telly it wasn't WWE. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. People have seen the funny side, thankfully, of Jeff Hardy doing the Rhea Ripley. Yes, like he was kind of like doing, uh, I I need, I want to do it, I want to do it, but I'll he was in two minds, (laughs) and I think people have found that quite amusing. And that just speaks to the power of Jeff Hardy. People don't want to bury him, people love this man. I don't necessarily, but people adore Jeff Hardy. He's got a massive, massive connection with the crowd. They were like, he can do what he wants. He can do a contrived dance, even if his brother's getting kicked in because he's Jeff Hardy. That's the power of the guy they've just signed. All of this should make a lot of AEW fans ecstatic. Um, they could have easily just had Jeff Hardy run in, kick ass, and then do what Tony Khan never does but should. Have a little one minute to just linger luxuriate, resonate and then he could have done the dance as the music played them off on the ramp for like 30 seconds, panned out watched the crowd go wild you would have got your non-contrived version of the thing that Jeff Hardy very much wanted to do you would have allowed something on the show to really register as a moment the man loves a pop though Yes, he loves a pop does Tony
3: Khan you've made me realise that this is actually not really weird and really Ripley-esque. It was actually very good LTST, because as you pointed out there, you used the phrase, he was in two minds. Darby Allen's face paint, (laughs) two minds. He's he's showing that he's on his level.
2: They're going to make black and white student films together. (laughs) (laughs) So, at the top of which profession? (laughs) Film school or wrestling?
3: Uh, They're going to make it to the top of both, and then Darby Allen's going to jump off one. Um, (laughs) I thought the construction of this was all wrong. It's really cool that they've like the music. Obviously, was available. And it's really cool that they've got it. Pretty much a Sidrick pitched um, that music hitting after they've ran off the baby faces would have got as big a pop as Jeff got coming on the ramp because people are, like they'd get this lovely moment. You get the hug, big cheer, bur, 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 and it, whoa! It's this. It's the proper Hardys. It's not like some peroxide gin playing and we're having to make the best of it, which would always happen when people would move to TNA or vice, versa, you know from whatever company. Um, so they. They they could, they, From end to end, they could have done a better job with this. Uh, you know, this is our review, so we can say what we think. But I think it is worth, and I try and do this with WWE as well, like looking at what a general response to something is. Like if you're not an edge guy, but people love an edge thing, you have to be like, that people went for it. So, what you know, mm. what do we know? Um, loads and loads and loads of shares of them hugging today online. But that, that is as sweet a sweeter moment to the people that love it, as it is to the brothers themselves. And... For all that the AFHO feel rubbish and nonsense a lot of the time, there was a gasp in the crowd when Private Party did the thumbs down. You knew it was coming, but, oh, no. So it was like, oh, they care about Matt Hardy just enough in the context for the mm. fact that he's going to be Cole saved. He loves Batista, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, aye. Like, oh, he's, it's like, you can see, like, he wears his inspirations on his sleeve, and there is some WWE ones from time to time, and it's almost nice that you get a few of them sneaking through. Um, what was the other thing that I wanted to like, make, make mention of? The lingering, again, very WWE and in its, in it's sort of the way it was put together. The lingering on Darby Allen and the obvious direction of look shocked, like felt really un-AEW, and I mean that as a compliment to AEW, and for the most part, it just feels like they're actually being human beings. Darby Allen was obviously told, you've got to stand there with your mouth open for a good five minutes in case we don't get this shot, and it felt really forced. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh my God! And like I was thinking, oh my God, he's like me. And,
2: uh, <laughs> Jim Ross has said it about forty <laughs> goddamn times. You know what I got? The little
3: guy looks like Danhausen, but he ain't no goddamn Danhausen. Um, Darby Allin
2: is kind of like a charismatic,
3: charismatic enigma. He <laughs> 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 yeah, obviously. So like Jeff Hardy and Jeffrey Nero Hardy or whatever, charismatic enigma. Jeff obviously, from Rita obviously is trademarked because they're like the strange enigma. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, it's not wrong. But like Jeff, so,
1: I like to ge- Jeffrey Nero Hardy for a split second. I thought they didn't have the rights. Yeah. <laughs> for like one more day or something.
3: Um, the other element of this where like, so they're telling you to stare at Darby Allen and think about the dream match. I was like, I'm staring at Sting and think about the awkward conversations. <laughs> That's what I want. Let's talk about that. Let's get Regal back
2: out here and talk about dark times.
3: I <laughs> still got the scars from my time. It's <laughs> ENA. It's <laughs> when you
1: scratched me on my neck when I had to pin you in 30 seconds. Sting and Jeff
2: Hardy, CM Punk and the Hardy Boys, CM Punk and Colcabana, like, God, I wish there was more gossip.
1: Yeah, <laughs> emanating from that
2: fortress.
3: It's all to play for, isn't it? But nobody wants to release it. Yeah. Uh,
1: we get uh, Shane Swerve Strickland backstage talks about uh, the reaction that he got when he uh, turned up at Revolution. He's having his first match on Rampage. We will of course preview this on the Rampage preview uh, tomorrow. Uh, but then in comes Tony Nice. <laughs> Uh, to interrupt
3: and uh, swerve Hey, guys, in.
2: remember me? <laughs> there's,
3: there's way too. Sorry, one. There's way too much like painful truth in the sort of. I'm not going to give as much of a toss when I debut. It's like that's sort of a problem with all these debuts.
1: Yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, Swerve said, I was, expecting, I was wondering who was going to be the person to interrupt me, so he's been watching the product. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like you say, Tony Neese said what he said, sarcastically sort of congratulated him, and uh, said, we've got a bit of history of fighting on Friday nights, so let's do it all over again, sort of thing. Uh, and Swerve said, I'll bless you like I used to. It's not Tony Neese's
2: house, it's Swerve's house. The good is that Swerve did appear like a star. The bad is that they are... Hanging a lampshade on their own bollocks. <laughs> just, don't, just don't hang a lampshade on it. Don't do the bollocks. What a That's, visual that is. <laughs> right. That is my philosophy always. If you have to do that, don't do the thing that you're trying to cover your back for. And um, I, again, I don't like the implication that AEW is not a good promotion. We see it with Scorpio Sky. We'll get to that later. And we'll see it with, oh, people didn't care about my debut. Or maybe you're a superfluous signing that the <laughs> promotion had done then. And you haven't got over it. Like, uh any inkling that this promotion is incompetent, even at the most minor level that people won't think about, I'm more pedantic than most, I admit, don't like it. That should be great.
1: Yeah.
3: The match should be great. The match is happening. The, the people in the building know that it's happening for them on a tape show. So that's like one of the few benefits you get of the fact that Rampage is taped off Dynamite.
1: It was weird watching that sometimes, is not it? Like when they said, yeah, yeah, and I'll see you Friday. Or, or yeah. It would been about an
3: hour and a half. It's, the fans can cheer it rather than like when they do it where it's like, and, and when we're back in Chicago, oh, boom. <laughs>
2: like, at least it can sort of Next cheer Next week, it. you're going to see the goddamn match of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. <laughs> but outside of
3: Hook, and, you know, ultimately now, like, you reap what you sow with this sort of thing. The reason we complain about things being turned into B-shows is because, like, it creates bigger problems, like, going down the line here. Hook is the exception.
2: Otherwise, the first a Scorpio Sky. Otherwise. Lambert and Taz. Great. Oh.
3: Otherwise, Rampage is a B-show. I don't think it's a brilliant look that your new debuting guy, hot paper for your start, is starting life on Rampage. Like... Ask yourself, uh, what's a recent cool Dynamite Derby? Keith Lee's probably the best one, isn't it? Ask yourself how much that would hit on Rampage compared to what it did on Dynamite. I actually don't think it's ideal. Mm. What's been arranged for Swerve here? But that's the bed that they've now got a lie in because of the way they've marginalised Rampage. Mm.
1: Uh, right, now it's time for the ungrateful bastard to do his interview. Wardlow comes down. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I
3: uh, wonder, are you picking a fight with otherwise? Like,
1: <laughs> Wilborn's world. It's my
2: thing. Wilborn's world is uh, insane. The, yeah <laughs> the, what they'll this is Wilbur's world and uh, it's got so much weirder than it ever was before
3: the war dog and the banter hound <laughs>
1: uh, so Tony Shimoni asks him uh, what's next and he because he, he's still under contract with MJF um, and he said look it's time to stop supporting someone else's dreams start fulfilling his own he always knew that MJF wasn't a good person but he was trying to you know get away from what he'd been doing before and uh, you know you know, start a life for himself, basically. And he asks everyone to forgive him for associating with MJF. Talks about growing up poor um, and, uh, you know, helping his mother with his, with a heart of gold. And he, he got this opportunity to provide for his family, give, him, give uh, his mother and his, his two sisters a better life. He um, said, MJF gave me a foot in the door. And for that, he thanks him. Um, but that doesn't give him the right to disrespect, threaten and put his hands on him. Talks about him slapping him the previous week and said, effectively, that was the writing on the wall. Um, he said, look, I am still under contract with MGF. I just don't give a damn. Um, I'm no longer watching his back. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him after that, basically. Um, and he said, I'm not a member of the Pinnacle. I'm finally free. Uh, and he says, look, if MGF just releases me from my contract, we can wash our hands of each other. We can go our separate ways. Um, and he said, from now on, All I care about is is winning this TNT championship, getting an AEW contract. And after that, I want it all. As of right now, AEW is officially
2: Wardlow's world. This could not have gone any better. Like legitimately could not have gone any goddamn better. They've resolved the issue of, oh, can Wardlow not sign with AEW when they signed Tony Neese? No offense, Tony Nese, you're a great wrestler. But (laughs) you know what I mean? Yes. The idea that they wouldn't sign Someone is over his ward low. That's not a question. That doesn't have to be a plot hole because he's still under contract with MGF, which should undoubtedly have incredible dramatic permutation. Unless the Jeff
3: Hardy court case gets legs. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> um, so that's going to have thrilling dramatic repercussions about what he can and can't do and when he can do it. It's all about the when. It's all about the when. And I love... He's just the nicest guy. He There was a few times... It was mostly incredibly composed, very eloquent, well-spoken, told the story, a bit of exposition, but you've never had it, so you kind of needed to hear it with water yes. flow. Um, the one time you kind of stumbled on his words, like, you're incredibly endearing. Mm. They've created this backstory. That might be truth in it. I've got no idea. Don't have parasocial relationships with wrestlers, and he's quite a private guy. They Tell the backstory of just a nice, hard-working guy who kind of had to get the money where it was given. And it works. And the reason why it works is because we all sat, or a few of us sat, um, around in the old office, and everyone did it home as well, um, in 2019, I think it was All Out, when they did the first Wardlow vignette, and you thought, is it 1987? <laughs> <laughs> and only after the fact, you realized, I kind of need more 1987 in my wrestling, because Wardlow's awesome, but at the time, you have to remember, it was, before Dynamite restored the wonder that is episodic wrestling television with promos and angles and all the rest of it, it was still a kickpad world. It wasn't Wardlow's world, it was kickpad world <laughs> in terms of high in-ring quality and all the rest of it. So you thought, this is weird. That This clashes with my image of what a great pro wrestler is. This is a weird throwback. And now it's become the stylistically diverse world where kickpads are kind of boring now. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is he was legitimately plucked from obscurity. No one, not even the most in, like, insufferable hipsters on Twitter. No one knew who Wardlow was. No. And that's what makes the storyline work, because the only person who hired him was MJF. This all works so well. I don't worry about how they're going to resolve the, oh, will he get signed by AEW? Mm, pretty sure he will. But for now, all of this is perfect.
3: Yeah, the physical comparison has always been Batista turned on Triple H, but the real one is Virgil turned on Ted DiBiase because it's about someone being a peer master. And if you ever go back and watch that, people desperately want the turn because they've gradually fallen in love with this person that you can see is being oppressed. They're not doing it because they're as cruel as their boss. Um, and the whole thing with Virgil was he was kind of being... He had a boxing background, but he was being trained to be a wrestler by Roddy Piper. Every little stumble or stutter or like a tiny little bit of doubt creeping into Wardlow's otherwise incredible confident facade is because he is having a break out on his own. He can do the physical bit, absolutely no bother.
1: And then by the body,
3: walking out, even just walking out of the tunnels and being like, oh,
1: yeah. walked out that one. Today.
3: That sort of stuff, the powerbomb is already a symphony. It's the verbals, it's the confidence, it's the away mates, I'm sorry for hanging out with that guy. That he needs to fight through and learn as he goes. He's like the the first step of that was the look that CM Punk gave him. Like I already tweeted about this. Mutual respect is just the coolest stuff in the world in wrestling. As long as the fight has been real in the first place. Wardlow empowered by that. And by the way, like yet again, AEW getting it right when it looks like it might be a gamble or it looks like it might be an overreach or too much. The ordering of events so that MJF's bloodying of Punk on the go home dynamite was done with Wardlow handing that diamond ring one last time, followed by the slap, and it being like, wow, they're, like, they're packing this in. Things have to go the way they go in mm. order for this story to feel as satisfying as it was, and not in the way where Batista is stood behind the door listening to the conversation as if he couldn't have been listening the last eight weeks on Raw. You know, this this is better than that for that reason. It feels true to life mm. that Wardlow was was being pushed for weeks by Sean Spears, but it was the slap that woke him up. Um, I think it's, I can't wait... To watch, like what, there's the innocence and the naivety of him being like, hi guys, was in his words, like the one little mistake he's made is doing this before he's agreed with MJF to get out of his contract, like what he does know is that MJF is way too cruel for this, and for him to even say, look, let's try and, you know, wash our hands of it or whatever it was he said... That's not what MJF's going to do, no. and that's Wardlow because he's still he's still a rookie in this game. Like that's the mistake he's made, and he's going to have to learn from that mistake as he fights his way out of the predicament he's now in. And,
1: and MJF, like you say, conspicuous by his absence on this show, as we talked about on the preview, um, he's the ghost at the feast now, isn't he? That's in the TNT Championship match next mm. week. Because is it is he is Wardlow going to win, and then MJF goes? Well, I own you, which means I own that. Yep. Or I'm sorry, but unless you're an AEW wrestler, you can't have. You know, or is he just going to screw him and then fire him? Like because he's laid out his dream: win TNT Championship, AEW contract, everything else. Well, fail the first hurdle and then be fired. You know, like you say, this is going to be a contract waiting for him eventually. But it's just uh, talk about. Like you say, if I'm watching this for the first time, following just happening to watch the paper after hearing all this buzz about it. I'm invested in this guy. I know he's got a title <laughs> match next week, but I'm also quite scared for him as well.
3: Very clever. Imagine mm-hmm. three dynamites after the worst and most damaging loss of MJF's entire career. He is walking around with a Burberry-strapped TNT title that he didn't even win himself. Like that They could theoretically arrive at those set of circumstances as if the punk thing... Never happened, and it should have been like an asteroid in his entire life.
1: Hmm. We go backstage, uh, and there's a meeting being organised by QT Marshall, uh, and the guy who wants to chat to, Keith Lee, who says, "Greetings and salutations, Mr. Marshall." <laughs> Mr. Marshall, what is it exactly <laughs> that's, that's how you t- pronounce it? What you could possibly need from me? And uh, he gets welcomed uh, to AW by QT, who uh, says, "Look, you know, you've got a bit of an issue with with, with Team Taz, uh, you know." Stark, Powerhouse, Hobbs, the, the, chip, the match and what have you. And he said, look, I've had my problems with them as well. I was the one entrusted to train Hook. And he says, my good man, didn't he give you a jolly good beating recently? <coughs> words to that effect. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, well, yeah, but that was all, all part of the learning process. Uh, and he says, look, whatever happens, you know, we've got a sort of shared goal here, shared hatred of, of Team Taz and specifically, uh, you know, Starks and, and, and Hobbs for you. He says, whatever happens, me and the factory, we've got your back. And Keith Lee, I'm just going to say what he said verbatim, says, I happen to have a very large back. I'm good. (laughs) He departs and uh, QT gets angry and says, Keith Lee, you'll pay for this. Pay for what? Just rejecting his advances, I suppose.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. QT Marshall is genuinely underrated and a gem in certain contexts. Watching him stand next to Keith Lee... I, there was something about her. Where I'm like, yeah, I understand. Let it play out, and I do with AEW. But at the same time, it's like, oh, it's on QT run. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just don't know. It just, it doesn't work for me. This I don't want to see him associating with Keith uh, with QT Marshall. I will reserve judgment. But having said that, QT Marshall can bump, feed, and fly. I was gonna say fly. Yeah, his face being yeeted. And his gen- he's like he's got an old school eighties heel, upper mid card heel physique at QT. Watching that get yeeted would probably be quite the side. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. I was thinking about like Aaron Solo getting yeeted on in it, Comaroto. Like the the pair of them getting taken out, and it's like, yeah, that's nice to think about, but nice is about as far as I can go yeah, this a, this as a programme. It doesn't feel like I'm I'm like I need to be on tenterhooks waiting for the big Keith Lee like factory match. Mm.
1: Uh, we're going quite long here, so we'll, uh, we'll rapidly talk next about the tag team title match. It was the Acclaimed versus Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Nice line uh, from the Acclaimed about Jungle Boy not having any pubes yet. Despite, that.
2: Uh, Shut up, you pubes. <laughs> You're like got any pubes? Proper, proper
1: <laughs> year five, year six. My mate of, mine, well, mate of mine, a lad I went to school with uh, was like, I think you'll find I uh, grew my first pube last night in my nose. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the nickname Pubecube. Uh, I can't remember what his actual name is now, off the top of my head. I think it was maybe Mark something, but yeah, he was Cube for the rest of the lot. But he was also the lad who like, drove his go-kart on the motorway. He's one of those sorts of people. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the acclaimed attack. Uh, Jungle Boy fights him off. Luchasaurus obviously takes down Caster with an overhand chop. Double team Senton gets a two count. Uh, Bowens distracts, though, and uh, that allows the acclaimed to take control. Takes to a break when we come back. Uh, Jungle Boy hits the rebound, Lariat. Luchasaurus gets the hot tag, and he runs wild. Uh, Double clothesline concludes it all off, uh, and then out on the floor, Luchasaurus gets out of the way of a boombox shot, uh, and Jungle Boy flip-dives onto both of them. Uh, Luchasaurus hits a choke slam and a standing moonsault, but Bowens breaks up the pin. Um, they go for that sort of doomsday escalera move, whatever it's called, but Bowens, I think, crotches Jungle Boy on the top rope, and that allows the Acclaim to hit the mic drop. But again, the Luchasaurus just gets in to break up the pin uh, for a nice near fall, whereas for, for, for a split second, What, we'd like the Acclaimed to be the Tag Team Champions, but obviously we kind of knew where this was heading again because of the fact this was announced (laughs) on social media about an hour before the show probably. Uh, Caster takes out Luchasaurus, and they do that sort of combo powerbomb thing from the Acclaimed uh, for a two-count again. Caster gets the chain to use, but Christian stops him. Uh, Jungle Boy rolls up Bowens for a two-count, and then they do manage to hit that uh, Escalera doomsday device Tail Whip on Caster, and then Jungle Boy pins Bowens to retain the tag team titles. Yeah,
2: we are taking the mick with the time here. I don't think this warrants much analysis. I will say that I will reiterate, I don't like the fact that they just put a title stip on this last minute. It felt grabby. (laughs) It felt like, let's get the most amount of viewers we can in the hours before show without really considering the storylines and the rankings and all the rest of it and the promotion. This was a very fun match Mm -hmm. without being very great. And I had one near four, I thought title switch. So it must be an absolute overachievement. Yes. Yeah, it played out pretty much exactly as you thought it would in the preview,
3: didn't it? So,
1: you know. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, brief little vignette from Jay Cargill and Mark Sterling. They're talking about who's next and how big, you know, her going 30-0 will be. And she asks, who's going to step up and receive her kiss of death? Uh, then we get the uh, World Championship Eliminator match. It is Thunder Rosa versus Layla Hirsch. And God bless the United States. And <laughs> <God> Every time. <laughs> Uh, Rosa managed to get the better of Hirsch wrestling early on. Goes for a very quick fire thunder driver, but Hirsch fights out of it and stomps on Rosa's arm, and she targets that throughout the break. When we come back, Rosa hits a low drop kicks and a Northern Lights suplex to get a near fall. Hirsch fights back, though. German suplex bridge gets her a two count. Uh, she goes up top, but Rosa cuts her off and hits a superplex into a fireman's carry neck breaker. Follows that with a sliding lariat. That gets a near fall. Uh, Hirsch gets knocked to the outside and she goes underneath the ring uh, for that bit of uh, turnbuckle thing um, that she used to clonk Chris Statlander on the buy-in, if you saw that. Uh, But here's Red Velvet to stop her. Um, So Hirsch gets back in and instead puts a cross-arm breaker on Thunder Rosa, who just manages to get to the ropes. Uh, She gets a sunset flip for a two-count. Fire Thunder Driver one, two, three. Thunder Rosa is the number one contender. She will face Britt Baker for the AW Women's World Championship next week. Not only that, though, uh, Tony Schiavone announces that next week's title match is in fact in a steel cage because of all the shenanigans we've seen in the past from Britt Baker, who uh, immediately responds by saying, oh, it's a "Load of bollocks! This why have you got a title shot all over again? Why are you in a number one contenders match days after being beaten in a title match?" Uh, talk talks about a conspiracy, and she says, oh, you know, we've got Red Velvet out there. Who's your good mate, is it? Where's Mercedes Martinez? It doesn't matter, because uh, Jamie Hayter's going to take care of her on Rampage. She says, look, I remember, you know, you won the match a year ago, of course, uh, the Infamous Lights Out match, but who who really won it at the end? Uh, and people like uh, Carney Riff Riff, like Thunder Rosa, shouldn't become champion, DMD, all that sort of thing.
3: All of this is exactly as it should be and should have been, but our, it doesn't feel like it's resonating with anyone except from Thunder Rosa, by the way. Who's exceptional, really, really great at selling the gravitas of all of this. Yes. And like, if you don't believe at this point that like AW have been loyal enough to the journey that Thunder Rosa has been, I'll just look at Thunder Rosa and try and buy it through her work and her performance of what all this is, what all of it means now, and what it's obviously going to mean in the glorious celebration next week, the match. Like the proper NXT, it'll be all, it'll be all right in the night sort of feeling about this cage match, but I don't think the, the Layla Hirsch match nor the announcement of the cage match particularly resonated because like AW fans don't like feeling like they've been shit on and they kind of have here. This is the match itself at the pay per view was used like knowingly as a cool-down one because they weren't going to give their match away because they were instead going to drag it out on television, but that was too transparent, and this is typically a, a better promotion than that. I think it's hurt it, and I think, like, this time next week, we, we're, it's pre- presumably going to be an event. We're going to be sat here at the end of this podcast celebrating a great match, a nice St. Patrick's Day slam bit of law between these two matches yeah. and, you know, what Britt Baker's done in the last year and all that kind of stuff. I have a feeling all of it will go well, but none of this has felt as nice as it should have been on their journey just because the destination is going to work out yeah, I wanted to enjoy this journey a lot more than I've been permitted to
2: I don't think it's going to play out that well I've been given not much evidence of late that they've got in ring chemistry I just don't feel like they're operating at the peak of their powers either performer I don't think this match was particularly good which is a shame because I really like both women like the heat really wasn't there even though they like Thunder of these modern AEW crowds they've already had a lot on this show. <laughs> so maybe the show they've already had a lot you know. You know. uh Look, Thunder Rose's reaction made this, and I don't even think yes. it was that good.
1: Right, main event time, uh, TNT Championship on the line, of course. Uh, it's title versus streak, Sammy Guevara, and his two belts versus Scorpio Sky in his nearly, uh, pretty much to the, to the day, year-long undefeated streak. Um, March 10th, 2021 uh, was the last time he lost, I think, in a TNT Championship match, in fact, against... Uh, Darby Allen. Uh, uh, last
3: singles match on Dynamite as well. Um,
1: awesome. um, but Guevara, because of what happened at revolution, he's got taped ribs. He's got, in the words of every commentator ever, a target on him as a result of that., uh, but Guevara early on does take control after they trade some strikes, he drop kicks Sky, sends him out to the floor, chucks him into the barricade, and pulls out a table. Um, Sky cuts him off, but then Guevara hits him with a thrust kick, pops him on the table and thinks, now's a good time to hit a six thirty cents on despite my injured ribs. He goes through it, and he crashes and burns. Scorpio Sky moves out of the way. He explodes this table, Sammy Guevara does, out on the floor, and the referee, the doctor, and his girlfriend, Tay Conti, runs out to check on him as we go to commercial, and they basically say... Is he going to be able to continue? Oh, we're going to have to have an interim, interim championship is what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, anyway, Guevara is being led out, I believe. I'm, again, I was watching this on fight, so I don't know the exact point that they came back. But Guevara is being led out, uh, you know, with his you know, oh, bloody hell getting taken out with, uh, with Take-Auntie and, and the doctor and stuff. And uh, he has a change of heart. He says, no bollocks. This isn't the way it's going to happen. I'm, I'm still getting back in that ring. I'm carrying on the fight. And he ignores all the warnings from, from Tay and from, from the referee, and especially from the doctor. And uh, he gets back in the ring, and spits in Scorpio Sky's face. As I'm sure Sidg has got a lot to say about this in a second. Um Sky, obviously, though, reco- has recovered. He sends him out of the ring. Paige Van Zandt is there at ringside. She gets in Tay Conti's face, uh, and Sky... It obviously targets the ribs uh, and then the back and just the the mid-portion of of Sammy Guevara with with back breakers and just just repeated knees, basically. Uh, Guevara does get a roll-up for a surprise near fall, and he manages to hit that double springboard cutter, but they really emphasize the fact that, you know, maybe it doesn't have the same effect or especially that Sammy Guevara can't cover him as quickly because he's got to sell the injuries. So he gets a near fall... um, Sky, uh, Scorpio Sky goes for the TKO, but Guevara managed to hit a thrust kick and forces him up for the GTH. Um, But again, he's, he's injured. He can't cover him immediately. And Scorpio Sky is rolled underneath the ropes. So Guevara, all or nothing, goes for it with a shooting star press. But Scorpio Sky gets his knees up. In the midst of all this, Paige Van Zandt uh, attacks Tay Conti as she's uh, she's arguing with uh, Ethan Page at ringside. She gets hoied into the steps, and all this, again, distracts Sammy Guevara, who's already... On like 1% health. Uh, Sky hits the TKO. One, two, three. Scorpio Sky is your new TNT champion. And just to rub salt into the wound, uh, Scorpio Sky attacks Guevara with the belt. And uh, as Conti comes in, she gets roundhouse kicked in the head by Paige Van Zandt, who signs her AEW contract. Uh, on take on his arse. I mean, I'm just, I'm just calling it as I see it here. She signs it on her arse. Um, and they conclude with American top team standing tall with yes, both belts. Hopefully not for long. But with with the new TNT champion Scorpio Sky, this is the first thing you and I talked about when I came into work today.
2: Yeah, I uh, this didn't re- didn't really work for me at all. Maybe that's why I was quite more down than Hamlet on the episode on the whole because it left me with just a bemused, a bemused feeling. Wronged wrestler mm-hmm. prevails over. Injustice, in which his talent hasn't been recognised by the promotion.
3: <laughs> That's
2: WrestleMania 30. <laughs> yeah. And it's the heel. It's, and, he, and he does what he says he's going to do and win the title. Whilst well, covered in spit. I'm getting to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so the, the babyface heel dynamic, not only was it wrong, but they played the cliched babyface hand. And it's like, I don't care about his struggle. I do not care. It's This isn't an injustice, realistically. He's... He's withdrawn the table himself. He's set up the table himself, right? He's compounded the injury. He did suffer in his guise as a babyface champion. Maybe I shouldn't be goldfish about it, right? But he's done this himself. He's made a series of stupid, silly mistakes in an attempt to do cool things and win a match. But if he hits that, he's imposing on Scorpio
3: Sky the same pain that he then suffered himself. If he hits that, it's like, no, I want to fight on. It's like,
2: well, you just wanted to do that to your opponent. I mean, it's just a series of stupid decisions that he kind of deserves to suffer pain as a result of. And then he spits in Scorpio Sky's face. (laughs) What's What's he saying? Like, oh, how dare you work over the injury? That doesn't justify getting spat in the face because that's every single heel in every single wrestling match. How dare you move out of that table? How dare you move (laughs) away from that table when I was going to put you through it? I thought, uh, and just doing that spot when working the injury angle, I just thought it was all over the place. I don't want to play armchair psychologist yet. I did think the last three minutes were really dramatic and well worked. I will say that. But I didn't feel anything for the performers because I just thought they were not operating within the characteristics of their characters very well. The last thing I want to say... It's uh, It seems to have disappeared from my... I'm not an armchair psychologist. Mm-hmm. It would appear to me, given that he wants to do the, the ridiculous 6.30 cent on through the table. And he wants to fight through the injury. He wants to spit in the face. Feels like Sammy Guevara feels like he's running the world right now. He's having the time of his life, as we know on Twitter, to a sickening extent. <laughs> he's fallen head over heels with a babe. Loves him back. And he's going on adventures. He's a TV star and He's a champion. This match and the way he tried to do loads of different things at once, the badass, the spectacular, the resolve, just felt like he was guys on top of the world. And it's like, yeah, I don't, don't want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to know that you struggled through obstacles and that I've got a, with a baby face character. This is a guy who's having his cake and eating it too. And this was the in-ring version of it. And I just thought I can't connect with this character at all. He's making stupid decisions to try and look cool. And he didn't look like he'd been screwed at all. You played yourself.
1: Yeah, I love this, and I probably shouldn't have. Like, I shouldn't be cheering for the heels. But, like, yeah, Scorpio Sky's completely justified in his argument of why have I not had a title shot in a year. Um, early on, like you say, after that, I went, well, either Scorpio Sky's become a TNT champion or he is done in AEW because if he can't beat what's left of him mm-hmm. here, he looks completely pathetic and impotent. Um, as a little bit. I'm glad that the guy who's had two belts when he should have one belt now has opened no belts. But also, Mike, me and Andy were gushing with our praise again. Uh, not to take away from Scorpio Sky, so congratulations to him. Very happy for him and the whole American Top Team stable thing uh, that they've got some gold now. But Page Man, Page Man.
3: Yeah, she always come. I, I know so little of her from MMA, but even just watching what I've seen around Dynamite, like obvious proper pro wrestling charisma mm. which is vital and even some of the best fighters don't have that so it doesn't matter if they can knock you out for real it's how that you transpose that into pro wrestling makes all the difference this was a really this was an oddly gratifying experience for american top team who are villainous arseholes yes. so like that's the sort of thing where you know when a heel like prevails in WWE but we do the sort of a wrestler I like had a good day at work that's not how you're supposed to narratively engage with the wrestling show yeah but you're just like that's nice because I like him you know that's so I got a little bit out of that and I I did think the drama was like ratcheted up really really well by the end like this felt like the heat segment it was designed to be this had a a WWF superstars early 90s title change quality to it because it was an angle more than it was a match certainly it's an angle similar problems with Sidgwick but I'm going to be more generous here I think there was a let it play out quality to this in that everything you've just said, having his cake and eating it too, he's, he's like top of the world. I sort of read this as slightly unfocused party boy. Like the mistakes he's making is because of all that. He's too young to have all this. He's too like inexperienced to have everything that is suddenly landed in his lap. And now he's going to start losing some of it to learn and to, because there's been problems with Sammy Guevara's connection. He's that a bit.
2: intelligent to be able to do this. Well... He's a self-made guy. Yeah. Who, like, didn't pioneer vlogs, but he was clever enough to grasp it. Maybe he just strikes me as a bit of a dumbass.
3: And w- like, but th- maybe they've acknowledged that and it's what's been booked for him. You know, like, the right, pe- we know that there's a, a bit of a lost connection. There's a bit of a dissonance between you being this heroic figure and having a number of things that a lot of people don't like about you. So you're going to push that to the absolute limit. It's going to cost you. And only because you've made the mistake are you actually going to learn from it. And the next time, next time will be the right time. You know, that's the, uh, like they really shouldn't have canonized pillars because it makes you view all their different journeys differently. But this is like the biggest setback yet for Sammy Guevara. And he's, it is of his own doing. Like, it's AEW. That's, that's probably a good thing going forward that all of this was more of his own doing than it was Scorpio Skies. Otherwise, it was pretty stupid. The table one in particular. Like, you've... Like, Ric Flair comparisons. What's causing all this? You. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs>
2: Stupid fault.
1: Well there you have it AEW Dynamite uh, lots to discuss uh, do let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE watch there you can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit you can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Um, Sidgwick do forget you can still get his brilliant book Becoming All Elite on Amazon wherever you are you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn follow us all at WhatCultureWWE uh, and make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts including of course as I mentioned our Rampage preview coming your way later on to uh, not later on today tomorrow in fact um but for now this has been the dynamite review my thanks to the Dadley boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon
2: head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring paul Mescal and andrew scott